Welcome to May the Podcast Be With You. I'm Stephen Mather, solicitor and your business lawyer. I help small and medium-sized business owners and directors manage their legal problems. But more than that, I like to enjoy life, smile and learn from others. So this podcast is a way to help me and you learn how to be successful, whatever that may mean. Welcome along. My name is Stephen Mather. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. For those of you that don't know, I am a member of a networking community called The Business Community. They run online and face-to-face networking throughout the Midlands. And one of the things that they've been doing recently is an um, online guest show called The Focus On Panel, where two or three experts in a certain area join together on a Tuesday at 11 o'clock online across the whole internet to discuss a variety of different issues regarding small businesses. I thought it might be useful for you to hear the content. You might not have seen it online. And on this show, the question was, what are the financial mistakes that small businesses make? Hopefully you'll find it useful and uh, and interesting. You pick up some nuggets. So I'll hand over to the host of the Focus On panel, Paul Green of the business community. Okay, hello, it's Paul Green uh, with another one of our Focus On panel. Uh, A regular weekly slot uh, goes out every Tuesday at 11 a.m. where we just sort of talk about a specific topic relevant to small businesses with a panel of experts that I have assembled here today. So before we sort of crack on and have a little discussion, uh, just go around the room and you can introduce yourselves, let people know who you are and what you do. Wendy, do you want to go first? Uh, hi, I'm Wendy from Bean Counters. We're a multi-award winning um, outsourced accounts department in essence for our clients, um, helping them zero in on the numbers in their business. Thank you very much. And Stephen? Okay, good morning, everybody. My name is Stephen Mayder. I'm a solicitor. I help you know, small and medium-sized businesses with uh, a wide range of legal problems. And last but not least, James. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is James Blacklaws, and I run a commercial finance brokerage called JB Commercial Finance, and I've been in the commercial banking stroke finance industry for around about 20 long, grueling years. You must have started when you were a boy, James. I started at school. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the topic for today are what are the financial mistakes you think businesses make? Um, so you're, uh, I guess, two out of three of you are in the finance world. I'm sure you've... Uh, uh, you all work with small business, you've probably all come across uh, issues that they're faced. So yeah, why don't we just explore and see what you guys think those mistakes are and maybe some of the solutions to those mistakes. Should we start with you, James? Oh, look at that. Um, I think with regard to financial mistakes businesses make, it very much depends where you are on your, for want of a better term, business cycle or business journey because um you come the sort of mistakes you make as a startup are pretty things like undercapitalization, no contingency, no plan B, etc., or not having your terms and conditions in place to send to customers. They're all mistakes which ultimately are financial. While as you get bigger, the mistakes become different, albeit they can be quite similar. So, with regard to offering credit terms to clients, with regard to issues about taking on members of staff, do you involve experts like Wendy when you look at your payroll? Do you involve experts like Stephen when you're looking at taking on bigger clients and looking at terms and conditions? So I think there's an awful lot to explore in this, but ultimately um, it comes down to one word really, and that's cash flow. 
as far as financial mistakes, it all impacts on the cash flow of the business, whether you haven't got enough cash to get up and running or you've not got enough cash to continue to survive or grow. So I think there's a lot to explore, but certainly in my experience, I deal with established businesses mainly. And the biggest issues I have are having to arrange for them to talk to someone like Stephen and say, you've owed money, you know, what, what are your terms and conditions? What are you going to do about it? Why are you continuing to work for that particular client when he owes you this much money? It's 150 days overdue or whatever. And I think that kind of um, that naivety and maybe putting a bit too much personal relationship on thing is one of the one of the larger one of the larger financial mistakes that businesses make. Okay, thank you very much, Stephen. What about you? Um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm one that doesn't directly work in the finance industry, but uh, but obviously clients come to me when they have problems to sort, and uh, and there's a knock-on effect, and usually problems means money. Um, that's uh, that's it. No one ever comes, you know, because someone slightly upset me. Uh, it's, uh, it's 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 because it's had an impact on it. Uh, I think James is right. Um, always agree with james is what i say in life because if you don't he'll call you all the names under the sun so uh, <laughs> always best to agree with him the sake um, of legality that's not strictly true <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> so it, it look the, the first point that he made was it, it depends on where the, the um, uh, where the business is in its in its life cycle um i've i've written down uh 10, 10 points that came to mind um, as to mistakes that uh, that small businesses make, and the first one that I've that I've noted here is actually not setting up in the correct structure. Um, so look, there's a there's a there's a choice of different business st structures. Um, most people when they start up, they might just be a uh, a sole trader. You know, just them kind of doing it uh, doing it on their own. They may not. Um, uh, surprise to HMRC, they may not even register as being self-employed at that stage. Um, just kind of running it through their personal account um, and, uh, and trying to make a little bit of money on the side, the side hustle as it's called these days and everybody wants a side hustle on the internet. Um, but for me, that's at, at, even at that point, a business, uh, somebody that is, is looking at being in business should be really seriously looking at what structure they should be setting up as you know if it is a sole trader then great but then the, it should be registered they should have a separate bank account they should be running it as a business um but depending on how you know quickly they anticipate what their revenues are going to look like um how quickly they anticipate to get to a certain level they should be taking advice from someone like wendy as to whether or not they should be incorporating or at what stage they should be incorporating um uh, because there's some advantages of doing that both legal and tax um, and you know that for me is the the very much of a starting point. Linked to that, my number two is not taking advice. And I've seen so many businesses, particularly small businesses, understandably because you know, like I know when I started started a, uh, businesses uh, recently and in the past, yeah, money is key. You know, actually that working capital is key. And going to an accountant or a lawyer and spending a few hundred quid and getting some advice is a tough one to uh, to spend. But it's essential that uh, that at some point, you know, that small businesses take take advice, and that first step, what the structure is, is a really good one to start on. Okay, Wendy, what are your thoughts? What do you come across when you're working with uh, clients, and what what solutions would you put forward to some of these issues small businesses face? Absolutely agree with Stephen on the um, sole trader side of things i worked with a sole trader um many years ago who gave me 11 months worth of paperwork 
and was very surprised when I told him he hadn't made any money. In fact, he'd made a loss because he'd been putting it all through the joint account and because his wife's earnings were also going into said joint account, it masked the fact that he was making a loss on his business. So definitely you need separate bank accounts from the off. Um, you need to register with HMRC, whether you're self-employed or not. Um, and um, the other thing I would say is um, debtor days. I came across another business who, who gave their customers 45 days, they were really generous, gave their customers 45 days to pay their invoices, but they were given from their suppliers only 30 days and they wondered why their money was running out because they were paying out the money before they'd had the money in. Um, so, so look at your debtor days and your creditor days and make sure that you're getting the money in before you need to pay your suppliers. I think that is a really big one. Yeah, I think that, that's always a, a thing that I see is, uh, around invoicing and um, setting the number of days. You know, as far as I know, Steve, there's no legal uh, reason for setting 30 days or 45 days. In fact, I think you could just sort of say payment on demand when you present the invoice. So it's not like anybody is stuck to these terms. Yeah. It's, like, it's almost like they're, they're made up by, by people just because they think they have to give people 30 days. Uh, oh, 30 yeah, days. absolutely. Absolutely. Look, it's so, so important that it made number six, seven and eight in my list. Scored a hat trick. Then. Yeah. Right. So, so, so num number six in my list was uh, yeah, having good terms and conditions. There's a good starting point. Terms and conditions being, you know, a, a, a contract, an agreement between the two parties setting out a variety of different things that, uh, that are agreed. But one of them is payment terms and making sure that, you know, right from the off, we know when we're expecting to be paid. And, um, and, and you're right, Paul, that there's no, um, there's no legal minimum or maximum. You know, um, some of the bigger companies, they're still trying to push clients to go to, you know, 90 days after the day, you know, after the first month, the invoice was raised, provided the invoice was raised on yellow paper on a Wednesday, then we might pay you. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of companies that still kind of do those, uh, those tricks. And, and I would advise clients to stay, stay away from that type of uh, work. But generally speaking, it is uh, having some good terms and conditions in place. But that's, that's just the starting point. Because, you know, if you've got terms and conditions that say, look, invoices due on demand, uh, on, on, on receipt or, or seven days uh, terms or whatever, that is only the starting point. Because you've got to follow that up with a, a, an effective um, debt control system. Um, if, if, the, if a small business is using something like, um, uh, say, Zero, QuickBooks and that kind of thing to do its uh, invoicing, fully recommended, and I know Wendy will, will kind of support that, fully recommended that they do that, but it will have built-in um, debt collection processes. So you raise an invoice, you can then go remind this person on seven days, 14 days, 21 days. If you're doing it manually and you're still sending out, you know, doing a, an invoice manually, You've got to make sure that you are chasing that up for payment. And, and what I would suggest to a client, and what I did when I've put in, I put in um, uh, a debt control, debt, uh, debt collection system for um, uh, for, uh, for massive organizations, actually. Uh, one that I put in um, many years ago was for a company called T-Systems, which is the parent company of T-Mobile. And, um, and they, they didn't have any credit controls uh, um, in place. We put in place a system where invoices would go out and then we would then email them uh, within a few days and say to the credit controller, just making sure you got the invoice. Mm. First step. Really important because lots of people, sadly, go, oh, I never got the invoice when mm. they're first chased. 
and then think that their 30 days starts from when they told you they got the invoice. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't. It, tell, it starts from when I sent the invoice. So it's always worth checking to make sure that there's someone got the invoice and then go, you know, make sure everything's all right. No issues with it. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. We'll get it sorted. And then you're following it up. You know, if it's if it's a 7, 14, 21, then, you know, you, you, you are chasing it up. And it's, as I say, good to have that uh, as a system. And number eight on the list, combined with all of that, is from my perspective, is don't give credit. Yeah, don't uh, don't don't give credit. If it's, particularly if you're a small business, because James is absolutely right. Cash flow is pretty much the most important factor, and that's oh, the overarching thing in a small business is cash flow. Um, and giving credit to organisations can just lead to, to massive problems. Like when you were saying, you know, giving you, you're giving credit where you where your customers are paying on ninety days, and you've got to pay your suppliers in thirty days is going to really bind up your working capital um and uh, and and so yeah my suggestion and advice to clients is always what can we do here to reduce the amount of credit you're giving so i was i was just doing some terms and conditions for a bespoke kitchen um uh, um designer and manufacturer and um and they have you know people coming in and they were you know going through the whole design phase um, getting it all manufactured and then saying, you know, the, the invoice is due, which could be 20, 30,000 pounds invoices due just before delivery. And they were like, you know, we're covered here because that's great. Okay. What happens if someone pulls out beforehand and you've done the design work and the manufacturing and then somebody turns around and says, yeah, no, we can't afford it anymore. And wouldn't it be better to turn around to them and say, look, let's have some stage deposits here so that we're covered. So on the design phase, and they said, "Well, it's a free design. You know, it's, it is free. Well, let's change that then. You know, it's it, it's yeah. it's it, there's a cost attached to it. Yes, it's free if you end up buying the kitchen. It's included in the price. But what you don't want to do is just be giving out free design services to everybody, and then they go and buy a kitchen somewhere else. So let's let's actually stage that and say, look, okay, here's the payment. You know, if you're happy with the designs, you've got to pay this much here. You've got to pay this much on bill. And so we built that all into their terms and conditions." And that's going to massively improve their cash flow. So, so yeah, I, I, all of that is is all aimed at cash flow, terms, conditions, debt collection, and not giving credit. I think it's a really valid point about it just being the start, isn't it? Because I'll, I'll see customers, and one of the things I ask for as part of some, a lending request sometimes is an age, debtor, and creditor list. So for those who don't know, that basically is all the money you're owed and all the money you owe people. And yes, the sort of scenario that's painted earlier where you're getting paid in 45 days and you pay in 30 days, that in itself is a problem and leaves a cash flow gap. But it gets even worse if you're a conscientious business client and you pay all your invoices in 30 days and people stretch those 45 days. They stretch mm. it to 60, to 65, mm. to 70 days, which unfortunately is incredibly common, which you know, to, to ultimately keeps me and Stephen in a job sometimes. So we're not complaining too much. But um. <laughs> That's a lot of the time I see that if everything worked fine, it would be great. You know, you can have your terms and conditions in place. You can have the, the days, the debtor days, all of that stuff lined up nicely. But then you bring in the human element, which is actually you may offer 45 days, but they're paying you in 60 and you're continuing to work for them as well. And they know this and they're worried that actually, you know, if, if I stop working for them, they won't pay me that money you're owed. And you end up in a massive downward spiral of debt. And yeah. I see it very, very often. And classic um, scenario of, uh, yeah, of where you've it. got a, a main contractor and a subcontractor, and the main contractor goes 
uh, it, it, the subcontractors owed some money. I'm owed fifty thousand. The main contractor says we need you to carry on doing the work, and the and the 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 contractor says I'm not falling for that. You know, I want money. And the main contractor says, well, look, we'll, we're able to give you ten grand now, yeah, but we need you to carry on doing the work because the customers, you know, shouting at us and need to do this and that. And and uh, people go, oh, okay, well, I'll take the ten grand because at least I've got something, and then go and do another twenty thousand pounds worth of work. Yep. And so yeah. they end up in, in more debt, giving more credit. I mean, taking a step back from what you guys have said, uh, you know, around the invoices and the and the, the, the uh, payment terms, sometimes it's, it's first of all, there's a couple of things. First of all, it's them sending out the invoice. You know, if you, if you leave it till the end of the month, then not only have you got your 30 days, you might have built 60 days in because you've done a job at the beginning of the month. Um, so I think, you know, you need to, there's no reason why you can't send an invoice out every day if you've done the work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and and uh, I think that I have experienced that. So, you know, I'm involved in a, a members club in Northampton. We've got five grand with a carpet that was fitted last year that we've never been invoiced for. So, you know, that that some business somewhere, you know, is owed five grand. Um, and they, they just, I don't know, they're probably oblivious to it now. It's a job gone. They probably thought they'd invoiced it. They probably thought they got paid. But, you know, for, this is, what are we getting now? It must be for sort of nearly seven or eight months that they haven't raised an invoice yet. Um, I think we've even chased them. You know, we've even said, you know, can you raise an invoice for it so we can pay for the carpet? And they still haven't done it. So, you know, it's just, just crazy, really. But there you go. It is what it is. I, I had a client like that who is basically on the road um, most of the day. So they were going, they were an, an IT consultant. So they were going from site to site fixing people's computers. By the end of the day, they forgot who they'd been to see. And there were so many invoices that weren't raised. So I, I got him in the habit of when he got back in the car using the Zero app, raise that invoice before you switch the engine on, raise that invoice because, and then they've got it immediately. And they also then haven't got the chance to forget about what you've just done for them because you've literally just left their building. So it is, it's raising the invoices in a timely manner is, is huge. It's a huge thing. And, and clients don't. Mm. I, I think I think that's a brilliant tip. I had a, a, a guy come and do some work here, and, um, and 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 then says, "Oh, just do the invoice now," and and sends it, and and then says, "Just make sure you received it, just because sometimes there's a bit of a you know it, it can get um, stuck in your spam." So he's done the invoice. Goes, "Yeah, is that all right?" Yeah, click send, and then says, "Have you, have you got that? Does that come through?" And um, and actually, that was it was it was it was really well done because it didn't feel like. You know, as a lawyer, it didn't feel like him doing the things that I tell people to do. It felt just like this is a normal conversation. Just like, yeah, sort yeah. the invoice out. And and if you're, uh, you know, if you're kind of doing that with with uh, with anybody, uh, sounds like a brilliant idea. And and what's the cost of that software? It's like you know, outside of a trial, it's twenty quid a month, isn't it, or something yeah. like that. So there's, you know, there's really, another really good value to have. It is great value. There's another there's another little tip on the invoicing side of things. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I've just seen a, an item that's come up on the chat. Um, there's another there's another piece of advice on zero is that if you send the invoice and you send a PDF or you have an option to see that it's been sent, if you don't send a PDF and force your client to actually click on a link to see the invoice, you'll see when they viewed it. Mm. So you're you're able to see, you, it comes up that they have viewed that so they can't sort of basically oh no we didn't receive it well I can see that you opened it on this date. Mm. Yeah, I mean there's lots of technology out there that helps small businesses you know be better at what uh, 
what they do. Uh, and I think, you know, this are, are getting better at it. I think, you know, they get more technological aware and have these apps, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when is, is there anything else that you commonly see inside of businesses that uh, are regular mistakes that you're coming across and or any advice that you give businesses that you put stuff in place to help them? Yeah. Um, one is check your direct debits. Um, that is massive. Um, and I've come, I came across a client who had, um, who wanted some help with their zero. They've been using zero for over a year. And the first thing I do is just do a little quick audit of all the direct debits that they click okay on every month because they know it's come out of the bank. So they don't actually check it. They've been paying 300 pounds a month to, um, Sage for over a year after they'd stopped using the software. Oh. It's, it's, oh. an it's an interesting it's point, and um, it's, it's something that happens on the personal side, moving slightly away from business. Yeah. You especially see it with regard to things like insurances. Yeah. I mean, the amount of times I've sat down with clients and said, look at their bank statements. Who's that payment of £40 to standard life? Don't know, some sort of insurance. And you're like, you've got five payments here for different insurance companies. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there's a bit of duplication here. Not yeah. some people can wipe two, three hundred pounds a month off their expenditure, exactly. and on business here, yeah, it's the, it's always the last thing you check, isn't it? It is, and, and I, I say they, this basically paid for my fee for a year, telling them to cancel that because you know that was an awful lot of money that they've been paying out every single month, and, and it's all those little softwares that you sign up to on a monthly direct debit that you have every intention of using. Um, you know, some that you, some you will, um, like Canva or, or things like that. But they're, they're not huge amounts of money. But if you stop using these softwares, cancel the direct debits because you'll be surprised how many people are just letting those go through every month and it's costing their businesses an awful lot of money that it needn't do. It's like the business the, version of the gym, isn't it? You, 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 yeah. you, you're it, the membership it, exactly one day, one day I'll yeah. start using Canva again or go to the gym yeah. again. Well, cancel the subscription and sign back up when you do start using it you know don't keep paying for software and things and um you know direct debits that you're not using mm. it's easily done easily done all these things that take your car your card details even for your free trial then you just forget to cancel it you exactly. know, so you leave it going and then you know because it's not a, a big amount you just sometimes miss it don't you on the radar but yeah. they add up to the tens of pounds, add up to hundreds, et cetera, et cetera. So it's quite scary. So, so James, you, you're you're a money lender or a, a broker for um, finding funding for people. What are some of the mistakes that, that businesses make there? Not necessarily why they want the funding, um, but, you know, when they apply for funding and get rejected um, or, you know, what, what, what sort of things are going on there with businesses? Well, there's a number of reasons why businesses get rejected, which is probably another conversation in itself. But I think when applying for finance, other mistakes are made. Um, sometimes customers don't borrow enough because they, they underestimate the costs of moving premises or the costs involved in taking on a new contract. But the other thing which I think is we're going to see an awful lot of um, a lot of literature about over the next year or two is interest rate management. So we're going to see people on, on the personal side and um, with this with regard to mortgages etc but on the business side if you take out a commercial loan whether it's a, a commercial mortgage or whether it's a cash flow loan or a working capital loan I, I mean i don't know the exact figures but i would say nine out of ten of them are variable rate linked um loans so we've had an increase last month um in the bank of england base rate or of course last month we're, we anticipate another one coming up very shortly 
And I, I read um uh, this is the exciting life I have. I, I read an article over the weekend predicting that base rate could be two and a quarter percent by the end of this year. So if you've got a hundred thousand pounds commercial mortgage and it's on a variable rate loan, that's going to cost you one and a half, well, one and a quarter thousand pounds extra purely in interest going into next year. And um, I think people make the mistake of not projecting that, not budgeting for that, and not not thinking it's going to happen. It's um, a head in the sand job. So while there's a million different ways, well, there are different reasons why people have declined, whether it's bad credit, whether it's loss-making business, insolvent business, poor credit history um, for the business, uh, poor credit control, all those factors can be reasons why you declined for a loan. Actually, once you've got a loan as well, once you're actually applying for a loan, you know you're going to be successful. There's steps to take as well to make sure that you're getting the right product in place. That's what guys like me try and help you with. But ultimately, whether you decide to fix your interest rate, how much you borrow, the term you borrow it over, people want to pay their debt back too quickly. So they want to pay it back in five years as opposed to 10 years when actually they could stretch the term to help their cash flow and plan for contingencies. They don't always do that. And I think being over over optimistic can be a real problem when it comes to dealing with the finances of your business mm, i think you're right anything else on your list Stephen? we haven't covered yet uh, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah number number three was not putting in place a shareholders agreement mm -hmm. um so i see so many times people going in business with somebody uh, a mate, you know, uh, usually, or a um, previous colleague, etc., and they decide that they're going to set up in business together, and um, which is great, you know, that's 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 absolutely fantastic. I love people setting up in business, but again, it's all about making sure that they've got the uh, the, the um, everything lined up at the start. And a shareholders agreement. So, what a shareholders agreement does? It's an agreement between the two shareholders. Um, about certain things in running the company, what they can and can't do. Um, and where you've got two or more people involved in running the business, um, usually they're all, everything's hunky-dory. They're mates, you know, they, they know each other, they respect each other, they get on really well, all of these kind of things. Um, but I've, I've seen it so many times from the other side where they fall out, mm. um, where they no longer get on, or one person wants out of the business, or um you know there's there's they're, they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing and the other person's going well how, what can we do to stop them etc um so a shareholders agreement regulates a number of different things and this isn't the, the the forum for telling people what shareholders agreement is um i've got some videos on my youtube channel about what they are if people want to have a look at them or they can speak to me but the, the long and short of it is they, they they're like it's like a rule book for a company and its shareholders as to what they can and can't do um, and what happens if there's a dispute or what happens if there's a falling out or what happens if they uh, one person wants to sell their shares um, and the most important for me the most important reason uh, to have a shareholders agreement it's linked to uh, linked to the next one on my list which is uh, what happens on death dealing with uh, dealing with the estate and it's a massive financial consequence and something that lots of people put off we know that people put off getting a will and and, and um, the key point is this, in a shareholders agreement, we can determine what happens to somebody's shares when they die, right? And that kicks in before a will, will kicks in. So within the shareholders agreement, there's, there's only real two options. Somebody wants their shares to be inherited by their estate, 
or somebody wants their it's, uh, their shares to go to their, um, their other shareholders. And the key distinguish the, the the key thing to distinguish is this: if the shares get inherited by the estate, it means their estate, their their widow, their family, their kids, their auntie and uncle if they've not got kids, whatever it might be. Um, has to then deal with the shares and they get their dividends and sometimes those people don't do any work and so you've got you know, uh, you know, I've got a company at the moment uh, so, you know, set up by brothers and now it's the, their sons that are running the business and one of them died and one of the sons now has some shares not working in the business but gets to draw a dividend that really grates on people people don't like that because in a small business they want you to work for your money and so really important to make sure that you've got that and what happens on death what usually people want what usually people tell me is that they would prefer their estate to have a lump sum of money okay rather than their shares rather than having to deal with their shares it would be good if they had a lump sum of money and there's some there's some inheritance tax uh planning around that as well um but what's what's really important is linked to uh linked to having a shareholders agreement is putting in place some insurance so that uh, what usually happens then someone dies the company then has some insurance to be able to buy those shares or the other shareholder has some insurance to be able to buy those shares mm -hmm. meaning that your estate your deceased the people that you're leaving behind have money have a lump sum of money and sort this out and we're talking about companies not just small companies it's companies that you know are maybe worth a million quid or five million pounds and they don't sort it out and then what happens is that, you know, they leave their loved ones behind, their, their wife or their husband left behind, and they've got some shares. And now they have to sort that out. And, and uh, it's a horrible process. And it would be much better if that, the person that was left behind had a million pounds. And it was all covered and paid for by the company, and it was all inheritance tax-free. And a much better way of doing it. Bearing in mind, inheritance tax is 40%. If you die without putting one of these things in place, without getting insurance in place, if you die... HMRC want a valuation of the company. They, they, the solicitors doing a probate or you doing a probate will go, well, the business is worth a million quid. My shares, I've got half of them. It's half a million pound. I have to pay tax at 40%. So it's 200,000 pounds. What is it? Come on, mental maths. 200,000 pounds that you have to pay to the tax man. For what? Nothing. Yeah, much better. And a massive financial problem, but much better if the, com if, if the person died the company or the other shareholder had a million pounds and said, here you go, uh, widow, grieving person, here's a million pounds, thanks very much, no tax to pay on that, and away you go. Um, so it's a, it's a massive, uh, massive, massive mistake that people make, something that no one ever uh, really thinks through, because we never like to talk about death, never like to talk about what happens, um, but it's just a way in which pretty much any small business with more than one shareholder can deal with for very limited costs and make sure that they're also providing for their family and it's being paid for out of the business. Thanks for cheering us up about death, Stephen. Much appreciated. That's, that's heavy. Can I, can I quick in on something else with, um, yeah, with friends that start businesses? And this is one <clears throat> that I came across um, personally um, with a client of mine. So I was doing um, the, the, the books for this client. He went into partnership with somebody else and the somebody else said, oh, no, we don't need her. We don't need her. Definitely don't need her. I can do the bookkeeping. That's fine. But this person that was so adamant they wanted to do the bookkeeping were um, being a little dishonest with the company money, shall we say. Um, so when I was asked to review it um, nine months later, when things were starting to get a little bit mm, between the two people, 
I I my first the first thing I looked at was why the general expenses in such a small business were over ten thousand pounds. And when I actually looked into these general expenses, the the person that didn't want that wanted me as far away from the bookkeeping as possible was paying his mortgage, his um, his gym membership, and, fair, and various other personal expenses through the business that the that the the very young trusting other partner didn't realise he was doing. So, you know, look at stuff like that as well. Um, you know, mates can be mates, but they, you know, that, that just make sure that somebody's looking at stuff for you. Yeah, I've seen it before. There was a, a company I, I dealt with many years ago um, that had two sets of books because the MD was siphoning off, um, you yeah. know, six-figure sums each year. And, and the, the FD was in on it. So, yeah, when, when they're presenting the accounts, you know, they had regular management meetings, there was a false set of accounts being presented because it wasn't the true uh, representative of the company because the MD was siphoning off a, quite a healthy sum for himself, um, which, you know, can happen. But but on, on that subject anyway, management accounts, do you guys see small businesses having, you know, monthly figures rather than waiting to the end of the year to find out whether they've made a profit or loss? I yes, think, I yeah, I mean, from my, from my point of view, and Wendy's the expert on this, but it's something which putting my kind of my broker and my lender hat on is increasingly important, especially over the mm. last couple of years with their erratic businesses performances um during lockdown. And it used to be, if I go back 10 years, if you were applying for finance or a client, generally speaking, unless it was an incredibly substantial amount, sort of late six, early seven figures. You would, you would take the last set of books and that would be it. And you'd, you'd look at the bank statements and that would give you a picture. Now, increasingly so, lenders want management information, which mm. is, if not up to date, then certainly only end of last month. And I think, for, from my point of view, there's no real excuse if you're a business at a certain level not to be able to produce that because you've got people like Wendy who are experts at doing it. And Wendy's job, correct me if I'm wrong here, Wendy, is a lot easier because of the likes of zero, say, etc because it is not that hard to put together and just draw no. off doesn't no. mean it's not a battle to get out of a customer sometimes but um it, it's something which i certainly would advise pretty much any business who are to, to, to to have a damn good understanding of where they are at the end of the month if nothing if for nothing else and for corporation tax planning to be perfectly honest but more importantly to see if they're actually making some money yeah exactly neil's just uh, neil watson's just made a, a comment which is exactly why you should have the accounts is uh, you know so you can review it against your budget and uh, also against the uh, you know financial measurements in your business um but you know a lot a lot of people don't do that you know steve were you going to say something on that topic oh, oh actually something on the, the the slight topic before but it kind of links in uh links in with the two which is um uh making sure so so what what tends to happen is directors of businesses think that they can kind of do whatever they want and if the business then fails because of, of some bad management they're in a limited liability company and they get to walk away and it's all right um, but actually it's far from the truth um, and so we we always as lawyers we always recommend and suggest that people have limited liability so that um, you know, suppliers, and the point of that is so a supplier or customer can't sue you for a million quid and then go behind the company and go directly to the shareholders. But what can happen if a company goes goes bust, goes under, 
Um, what can and very much does happen is that an insolvency practitioner is appointed, either by the government or by a creditor, to investigate the affairs of the company. And, uh, and then they, they can, in certain circumstances, attach personal liability to the directors. And so there's a couple of things that, uh, that I've seen, and, and it's now occurring um, very commonly. There was a, there's an insolvency practitioner in Leicester that took a case to court uh, and won it, and it was on the failure to register for VAT. Okay, so the business failed to register for VAT. Happens more often than you'd, you'd think, actually. They failed to register for VAT because they've not done the management accounts. They don't know where the figures are, and then by the year end, the accountant goes, you've hit the threshold for VAT, we better register, and we've got to post, um, uh, post date that as well. And then all of a sudden, that £100,000 or whatever that they've uh, earned, 20% of that should have been accounted to VAT. And we've also all of a sudden got a liability um, now. I, I saw one recently where the accountant then went, oh, well, that's a big liability. What we might want to do is close the company and start again. And it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible, another idea. Go. <laughs> yeah. terrible, terrible idea. But they went with it and closed the company. And then the insolvency practitioner just pops along and says, well, that was a breach of your, your director's duties. You should have registered for VAT. As a result of that breach of director's duties, there's a loss to the company. And we're going to recover that loss from you, Mr. Director. And, um, and that kind of thing happens uh, more often than not. So um, uh, not paying HMRC sounds like, you know, co companies do it all the time. And they go, oh, we can just liquidate and close the, close the company. But there's a real risk that you get chased personally. And mm -hmm. things like, uh, uh, you know, James has been banging the drum on it for, for the last two years. But things <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the business bounce back loans and the, and the COVID loans that, uh, that, were, that came out where people... We're told, you know, there's no personal guarantee attached to this. Brilliant. Let's just borrow loads of money and then, you know, go and buy a car and close the company. Yeah, well, look, you're going to get stung for that, right? So there's a couple of options where they get stung. One would be fraud and some criminal charges, but definitely without that, and we're seeing it come through the system now as the insolvency service are pursuing claims against directors because it was, it was in breach of uh, their director's duties. And so all of a sudden, the director's thinking he's got 25 or 50 grand out of the government. The company's, you know, then gone bust. It's not going to happen. So, so yeah, the, the final point of my, my list is, is not uh, complying with your director's duties. Um, and they are quite wide and varied. Some of them are written in law, some of them, uh, some of them not, some of them the company's hacked. Um, but it's really important to make sure as a director, you are running the business to the best of your ability having full information and knowledge about what's going on um there's a there's an ex another uh, what happens a lot and i've seen this where a company goes bust and they have massive director's loan accounts director's loan accounts for people that are, are watching might not be familiar with it is where businesses um are paying to, are basically paying too much money to uh <clears throat> to the directors and shareholders because they don't really have enough profit at the end of it to declare a dividend so they've not done well, but they've still taken money out and the accountants go, well, allocate that to the director's loan account because you'll pay that back, won't you? And uh, and the directors go, yeah, yeah, of course. We'll, yeah, yeah, we'll pay that back because if you don't, there's going to be some tax to pay. Yeah, yeah, we'll pay that back. And, um, and then what happens is the business goes under and again, insolvency practitioners will come along and they will absolutely love a director's overdrawn director's loan account because they are the easiest ones to bring. We just write to the directors and say, oh, your director's loan account sits at £56,000. And if you don't pay it within seven days, we're going to come after your house. And, um, and, and people don't realize that there's some personal liability attached to running a business. 
um, because it's really easy see limited liability and think that's it i can run away i can walk off without any any responsibility or liability but it isn't the case and so the final point is you've got to comply with your director's duties and run the business properly yeah if, if i if i can just say one thing relating a couple of points you made there Stephen, about the, the the bounce back loan or any of the government loan schemes but we'll talk about the bounce back loans that's the most prevalent one and and overdrawn directors loan accounts uh, follow quite a few Facebook groups and certainly the, the smaller end of the SME marketplace with a freelancers or one man band, you know, let's just say turning over up to £100,000. An awful lot of that is coming out in the wash now where a director has taken out or a business has taken out a bounce back loan of let's just say £30,000 and have used it to pay dividends to the director. Now, if you use it for a monthly salary, that's OK as long as it's an official salary. It's a running cost to the business. But if you're taking out a couple of grand a month in dividend, and that's coming straight from the bounce back loan funds, which is leaving the company overdrawn and insolvent, then when that's getting wound up, as you say, the IP is rubbing his hands saying, this is easy. This is a straightforward job. You have made my life easy because you are taking out money which isn't yours from the business. You are not you know, fulfilling your fiduciary duty. You're sort of limited company as a director. And I think we've only seen the start of that. So it's another reason why you need to get on top of your management information, because then you identify this kind of issue happening and you can rectify it. Because you mentioned tax on this as well. And I can't remember what it is. Is it not? Is it 40 percent tax or 30 something percent tax on an overdrawn director's loan account? It's it's a very high penalty to pay if you don't repay your director's loan account within. Is it, is it nine months or whatever it is? Nine months, months. Nine yeah, months nine from months. the year end. Yeah. So one, thing, um, one thing I've mentioned about the, the VAT registration um, thing that um, Stephen was mentioning, um, that's done on a rolling 12 months. So don't get to your year end and look at your um, your you know, your actual year at your year end. You need to be if you're getting close to that threshold, you need to be looking at your accounts every month on a rolling 12 months because it rolls back over over 12 months, not from financial year to financial year. So especially if you have a business that's seasonal and you have a really high amount of income for part of the year and then it tailors off. You must look at that as a whole twelve-month period when deciding whether you've hit that threshold or not, which is currently eighty-five thousand. Good point. Excellent. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Some conscious time. We don't want to be here all day. I'm sure you've got other stuff to do. <laughs> I think we've uh, successfully scared the SH1T out of anybody that might be listening or watching this. Certainly, <laughs> thinking of starting a business will probably we probably would have put them off by now. But I think it's it's you know it is safe to say you do need to look at. Um, you know your obligations be they financial or otherwise inside of any business and uh, you know there's help around um, for you to, to sort of keep you on the straight and narrow as it were so thanks guys for uh, joining me uh, today on this session uh, as I said earlier these are regular sessions going out each week at 11am on a Tuesday uh, next week we've got a sales and marketing theme and we're actually going to be talking about authenticity and tone of voice in uh, uh, your marketing so um please tune in for that uh, we'll end the broadcast there thank you very much so there you go thank you to paul for hosting that the the marketing uh, focus on panel it was a few weeks ago you can check that out online and on youtube on the business community's youtube channel so do check that out for now thank you very much for listening to uh, the may the podcast be with you i'm stephen may the solicitor your business lawyer thanks very much see you soon